Hey everybody, welcome to the With Podcast, episode 7. Uh, episode 7, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to continue this conversation with everybody as we're trying to really wrap our heads, hearts, and hands around this one thing, this one thing that we do, uh, we all do it uh, with, with in all its various forms, with God, with others, and uh, with ourselves. You know, I always, always picture God as having a lot to say, uh, which makes me wonder, how do you picture God? <laughs> how do you imagine him or her? How, how do you think God responds, reacts, recoils, reaches out, circumstances and situations? What is your implicit imagining of how God moves? Anyway, that's probably another podcast for another day, another episode. God at first movement in my mind without any alteration from good theology or influence from my unhealthy narrative, I often see God as the great opinion offerer. And yes, that's a real word, offerer. Uh, but I see God as the great opinion offer. Like he's always got something to say. God always has an opinion about everything all the time. As I mentioned before, you know, we have in this quarantine circumstance been able to eat a lot of family meals together. Most uh, lunches and every single dinner we gather together at the table. It's a great time to be with one another. It also uh, gives us a lot more opportunities to uh, adjust and speak to uh, how we go about interacting and, and enjoying a meal. Zoe, our youngest, always wants to say something. She's always got uh, a few words or uh, an opinion or a perspective. Most of the time, she sits with her hand raised over the course of the majority of the meal because she's waiting to be called on. She's waiting to say something. We'll say, Zoe, okay, hold on, Zoe. And then we turn to her and say, all right, what do you have to say? And she kind of hems and haws and smiles and waits for everybody to give her the attention that she wants. And then you can almost see that she's thinking of something to say. <laughs> I, I don't mean to communicate God is like that, as if he is in need of our attention. I just think that God always has an opinion. This type of image eventually leads me to land at some place where there's always a right and always a wrong. Because in my head, that's how God operates. Huge swaths of doing it this way, hard line. Huge swaths of doing it that way, like, like black and white thinking. While I do find healthy and unhealthy ways to this following Jesus being human and a smattering of right and wrong teaching from Jesus himself. I mean, his longest, uh, one of his longest teachings in the Gospels, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is a deep dive into the Ten Commandments. He's teaching us how to be human. But even in the midst of that, there are way more hues of gray than brush strokes of black and white. Take one instance that I think many of us would be familiar with, uh, the rich young ruler. It's in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. There's a gentleman that walks up to Jesus, and we know him to be well off. And he talks to Jesus about wanting to inherit eternal life, wanting to have uh, really the relationship with God that Jesus has come to deliver, <laughs> he and the rest of the world. And he says, I've done this and I've done that, but I, you know, there seems to be a drawing from his soul that there should be more. And eventually they land on this circumstance where Jesus says, hey, sell everything that you have. 
Now, there are literal readings of Scripture. There are figurative readings of Scripture. And I believe there's a space where we struggle with both of those things. Uh, The interaction Jesus has with this guy, who seems to be honestly at some level really intrigued, really seeking, really trying. This whole interaction, I think, is less about giving all everyone has away and more about recognizing God's ability and desire to deeply connect with each of us in our particular personality and our specific season. You see, the rich young ruler is not about how we should all empty our bank accounts necessarily, but it's about God knows what we need. God knows what is grabbing hold of us and what we need to let go of in order to really know who we are. But it takes a deeper dive. Existing in this partisan, divisive, finger-pointing world where even in a global crisis, we still find ways and means to make teams. I think it's important to swim out beyond the shallows. Talking about others today, being with others, we have to include the great commandment from Jesus where he is asked, hey, what's the most important thing? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 12, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Now, if I'm honest, love, for me, conjures images of romance. Intimacy that just happens. Roses, gifts, candlelight, easy laughter. Not forced, easy laughter. The kind of joy that comes without any labor. Are you with me? I kind of... just It's like Hollywood love. It's the way it's supposed to go. It's the way it was on the screen. Over the last several years, I've done premarital counseling and premarital conversations, and I just had the joy and privilege of of marrying a a wonderful couple this weekend, Ravi and Allison Pradhanong. Now they are Mr. and Mrs. Pradhanong. And I remember talking with both of them, particularly many of my conversations with Ravi, and say, hey, you know, the woman that God has for you, maybe she'll be someone who intrigues you uh, mentally or challenges you or does this or does that but and maybe she's going to be attractive and maybe she's going to make the money you want maybe she's going to do this and maybe she's going to do that but please please as i told robin i've told so many people and i'll continue to speak to those who are looking for someone to join their life with don't pick someone that does some of those things, pick someone that you're willing to work for for the rest of your life. Not in an overbearing, controlling, like they have you do this or have you do that, but who are you willing to work for, to come back to, to struggle and fight for every single day? That, to me, is what the marriage relationship really does often look like in its healthiest form. But when you hear about this word love, I think of any number of things as I'm sure that you do. Love carries a lot of weight with it. When you throw that word around, it's a pretty influential word. The Bible has at least four distinct words that we translate to our single English word of love. Storge is a word translated from love. It's a natural affection, a natural obligation, natural movement of the soul. Think, uh, you know, from a parent to a child. There's just that love that is present. That's storge love, the original language. 
Phileo is a companion love, speaks of relational affection, a fondness and a liking. It's a love that's called out of one's heart as a response to the pleasure one takes in a person or an object. Eros. Eros, this is a love of passion, an overmastering passion that seizes and absorbs itself into the mind. It's where we get the word erotic. It's, it's based on body chemistry. The basic idea of this love is self-satisfaction. What does it have for me? It's incredibly intimate. It's powerful, but it is shallow. Eros was never meant to stand alone or be in the front of the line, so to speak. Eros love is conditional. Eros isn't used once in the entire New Testament. And then there's agape. Agape, this love is called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object love. It's a love of esteem, of evaluation. It has the idea that something is so special, so unique, so prized that there is now going to be made an active choice towards the benefit of whatever that thing or that person is. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. Agape love is unconditional. Agape is used over 300 times in the New Testament. And when Jesus is asked what is the most important thing, it's this agape love that he uses. And again, it's not to say we should throw storge, phileo, or eros out of the window and remove those types of dynamics from our lives, but it's understanding what has the richness, the width, and the depth that is supposed to take the human soul. Creatively speaking, meaning if, if, if we act as creations who have a creator, this love, agape, the kind creator commands, creation to directing us towards connection with himself and with others is this agape love. Which, by the way, is not based in affection. Agape is born out of preference. Choice, which is in our control. Meaning, one does not need to like, agree with, or in any way, shape, or form, endorse another individual in order to love them. (laughs) Let me say that again. You don't need to like somebody. You, You don't need to agree with somebody. You don't need to even endorse their lifestyle or their choices in order to love them. I mean, come on. Just hit the pause button. Is is that crazy or what? If that doesn't simplify the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, I don't know what will. I mean, right? Some neighbors are quote-unquote easier to love than others. But love is not an affection thing. It's a preference. It's what are you choosing to do. Granted, now, now we get to do the mental gymnastics around whether or not we actually want to love someone, meaning prefer them despite how we may not agree with them or are annoyed by them, generally find them repulsive or flat out just dislike them. But luckily, God doesn't ask me to like everyone. He commands me to love everyone. Honestly, affection isn't always at our tangible disposal, is it? One just likes or dislikes. 
Now, that's not the way it always is, but it seems to me affection is this inborn and guiding compass with an unstable true north. It it just kind of changes. One day you like peanut butter and jelly. The next day you don't like peanut butter and jelly. It's an affection thing. I I can't always explain my affections, although as an aside, I mean, come on, peanut butter and jelly is pretty amazing. (laughs) In terms of others, that like or dislike, we may like that person or dislike that person, it moves quickly. That liking and disliking acts quickly to justify how we serve, if we give of ourselves, if we make time for them, or whether we end up withholding love. Luckily, mercifully, we don't need to like in order to love. We just need to choose to love. Now in this crazy circumstance we find ourselves in, I just want to encourage all of us not to rely on our affections to really love and serve others, but lean into that agape reality, the ability to prefer, to choose to love others. We love you so much. We are praying for you. We hope this has been uh, encouraging. I know this is a bit shorter, but maybe this is something for you just to think on for a little bit. Now, may you, in the way of our Christ, go, be with and for others as God is for and with you. We'll talk to you soon.